going to start our Advent series, and I'll kind of touch a little bit on what Advent is here in just a second. But, you know, what we're preaching today, we actually preached about five years ago, uh, the same text. And, you know, as I was going through it and, you know, me and Garen had talked about it earlier in the week. Um, you know, it's amazing. And that's what we sing that song, what he's done, man. It's amazing what God can do, what God will do and what God will continue to do. And that's what Advent is about. Advent is about anticipation. It's about celebration. It's about expectation. It's about all these things. You know, this season is all about what Christ has done and not only that, but what he continues to do. And so as we kind of go through this series, it's really going to kind of focus on the fact of what it means that Christ has come and what that looks like in our lives as individuals as we navigate the relationships God has given us, as we navigate the responsibilities that God has given us for his kingdom and for our own personal kingdoms at home. And so we're going to read Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26 and read down to 38 says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has called, was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. Father, we thank you for this season that we come and celebrate, this hopeful expectation that we have of not only what you've done, but God, what you will continue to do. And God, most of all, in all humility, we come this morning in thankfulness of who you choose to do it for. God, broken man. God, broken humanity. In desperate need of something far bigger and greater than ourselves. Lord, we love you. God, we just ask you to speak to us through this text. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So like we said, you know, the, the season of Advent is something the church historically has celebrated for a long time that starts uh, the, the, the last week of November and kind of carries us through till right before 
Christmas. And like we said, the season of Advent is all about anticipation. You know, for them, it was an anticipation of Christ to come. For us, it's a celebration of what Christ has done and what Christ, an expectation of what Christ will continue to do. And so we like to, every time around this year, to take three to four weeks to just stop and to celebrate this season. Because, you know, there are these things built into the church calendar for a reason. And a lot, maybe depending on what kind of church background you come from, maybe it's not something that was, you know, something that you talked about a lot or something that you leaned into all that heavy. But for us, we love the idea, just like the Easter season and other seasons like it, that for the Advent season, you know, not only are we celebrating the birth of Christ, but what that time meant for the people and what it means for us, what it communicates to us. And so, you know, just to kind of give us a little precursor of where we're at, you know, as Luke is writing this, he's writing this kind of, uh, you know, when the Old Testament ends, when the Old Testament ends from the moment where we are in the book of Luke, we're seeing about 400 years of silence. You know, leading up to that point in the Old Testament, God used men and, and God used people to communicate. He used prophets, He used judges, He used all these individuals to kind of be a mouthpiece for Him and to communicate for Him and on His behalf in the world that they lived. Well, coming into the beginning of the New Testament, you know, we have the four Gospels that kind of, kind of, or, or, or the beginning of, uh, of the New Testament and kind of this time frame from the Old Testament to the New Testament is about 400 years. And so up to this time, there has been no prophet. It's been a very silent time. Not that God hasn't continued to work, not that God has never ever continue, has pulled his hand away from the work he's doing for his people, but as far as hearing directly from God through a prophet, it had not happened in 400 years. You know, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I can see, you know, where the people there, where they can feel as if maybe like, has God forgotten about us? You know, like historically, they know how God functioned, how God spoke, how God communicated. And so they can have kind of this idea of like, this is how God should be working. If God's not working in this specific way, then has God forgotten about us? You know, and I think for a lot of us in our Christian life, we can navigate times like that where we feel like we're not hearing or seeing from God the way we think we should. And so then we can be begin to believe that he's forgotten about us. But the thing we have to remember about God is that God has never let us go, that God has never forgotten, God has never removed, and that even in the midst of this 400 years, God is prepping them. God is working. God is preparing them for something. And that's what this Advent season is truly about. And so what we see here, you know, and so we say that it's been 400 years since they have heard from a, from a man, from God in the sense of a prophet or someone speaking on God's behalf. And so what happens here is not only is God speaking through someone, but he sends the angel Gabriel. It tells us here in the beginning of the text that he comes down. You know, what's significant about this is that Gabriel has only spoken two times of in the entire Bible. And it's a matter of, 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 of almost a thousand years that, that, that this happens. And so one time in the book of Daniel when Gabriel comes and then this other time here when Gabriel Gabriel comes and he speaks directly to mankind. He comes to deliver a message. He comes to give something to us. And, and, and I love when Gabriel says, you know, when Gabriel talks about this, when he's speaking to Mary, and this is just kind of precursor. We'll kind of jump back into some things. But 
When he's talking about the work of God, he talks about it being great. Listen, even in the silent times of our life, God is prepping us for something great. And that's where for us, we have to continuously be in this forward progress of knowing and understanding how God engages with his people and when he engages with his people. That it's not just in the big, massive moments of life, but even in the quietness of, of, of the, the, the day to day as we navigate that God is working, that God is prepping, that God is doing something. And so where, where I really want to lean in this morning is to understand in this beginning kind of this Advent period, understanding the way at which God works in the life of his people and, and leaning into this idea here that nothing is impossible. Now, I want you to hear this and not hear something else. Is that, you know, a lot of times, especially in church circles, we start to say nothing is impossible. We start to kind of give this uh, prosperity gospel label to it. Like, I can do anything. I can do everything. I can be anything. That's not what I'm saying. Because there are some things for us because of our physical limitations or the limitations of our situations that we cannot do. But... We have to understand when it comes to the work of Christ in our lives, speaking specifically about how he navigates in our spiritual life for us as individuals in our saving, in our, in our guiding, in our leading, that nothing is impossible for God. Listen, I'm not going to tell you that every one of us can be rich. I'm not going to tell you that every one of us can have exactly what we want to have on Christmas Day or going into the first of the year. Or that every sickness will evade you. Or every uh, uh, difficult situation in your life will go past you. I'm not going to tell you that because that's not true. But there is some things that God speaks directly to us that he says that nothing is impossible. That nothing is impossible. Even if it seems impossible to us in the ways in which God works in the midst of these situations... They are not impossible. And so there's three specific things that I want us to see this morning that, that, that may seem impossible to us, but God speaks and says that nothing is. That nothing is. And so the first thing is this, that I believe that we can see from the text, that we can see this idea or we can see this playing out of how God participates with his people in a way of impossible grace. Impossible grace. That everything we do as, as Christians is founded and grounded in the idea of God's grace. And so the idea of what God does for his people should seem very impossible to us. Because like we've talked about before, God's kingdom works in opposition or opposite of the way our kingdom works. That grace, the idea of true grace does not make sense to us because things in our lives don't function like that. We are a very transactional group of people. And so to look at the grace of God in a way of how he presents it and how he functions, it doesn't normally make sense to us. And in a way, it seems impossible. There's a reason why Christianity is the only religion in the world that looks at the way in God, God engages with his people the way we do. Because we don't see, you know, every other religion in the world is trying to get to their God. Our religion believes our God came down to us, came down to where we were, to offer us a way. That's the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And we see that even beginning here. And so that we see in verses 28 through 30 kind of this discussion or kind of seeing playing out this impossible faith. And so we'll, we'll start out here in, uh, in verse 28. It says, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
So the thing we have to understand, and there's a couple other things that he says about Mary here. He says, oh, favored one. He says, the Lord is with you. He says, uh, further on down, he says that you have found favor with the Lord. Or other translations may say that you are blessed among women. And so we have to understand something. because Depending on what background you come from, we have to kind of fix Mary into the place at which is appropriate for her to be. Because is she, among all the others in the Bible, a heavyweight of the faith? Absolutely. We will see that play out. I mean, just imagining, and we'll talk about this a little bit further as we get on, but just imagining her situation, just imagining the faith that it took for her to step into the role that God had called her to. But the thing we have to not do is that we cannot elevate Mary to a point at which she overshadows Christ. You know, and, and this is where we have to be careful. Like I said, uh, depending on what kind of background you come from, the, I know the background that I come, came from, you know, it, it looked at Mary very much as a giver. But what we have to see her as is she's very much just a receiver. She's a receiver of God's grace. She's a receiver of God's mercy. She's a receiver of God's provision, just as we are. And, and her holiness is no different than our holiness in the sense of our spiritual walk. You know, she's, she's not the one that we go to pray to. She's not the one that we ask for anything from. But she is uh, an example for us. She is someone that had faith. She is someone that stepped into difficult situations, but she was not perfect. She was not sinless. And so we're just going to make that clear because we have to put her in the place that she rightfully is to find encouragement there so that not to see that her situation is unattainable for what God has called us to. Because if we begin to elevate Mary to a place of, 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 of deity holiness on that level of Christ as a mother of Christ and kind of on that level playing field, then the situation she navigates is very unattainable. And the things that God does, the impossibilities that God does on her behalf and in her life seem very much out of reach for what we can be or do. But I don't believe that that's why this story is here. I don't believe this story is here for us to pray to her, to worship her in any capacity. This is for us, just like every other heavyweight of the faith, to find encouragement in how God deals with his people. And so we have to kind of put that there because the things that, that Gabriel says about Mary are very much within this element of grace, very much the things that God speaks over us in our life. And even Paul kind of talks about these things later on. So when we see that, that he calls her favored, you know, Ephesians 1.6, it says, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Those who are beloved by God are those who are favored by God. Those who are, are cared for and concerned for by God. And so in Ephesians, he's talking about the people of God here. The people of God being those who are blessed and are called the beloved. So God's people, the saints of God, have found favor with God. That we are His beloved. And so we, we find ourselves on that same playing field. Continuing on, he says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Matthew twenty eight twenty. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank goodness for Mary's faith, but we find ourselves in that same situation. If we have put ourselves in Christ, God, God says that the Lord is with you, that he is with us. And then the last one is this. He says that blessed are you. And then, you know, it says that you have found favor with God or other translations would say blessed are you among women. Ephesians 1.3 says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, Mary is a receiver, not a giver. And so understanding the way the grace of God works is that the same grace he's pouring over Mary right here, 
favor, his presence, his blessings. We have those things available to us. Those things have been given to us. Those things have been blessed over us through the spirit of God and his work in our lives. And I love, because I think this is a place that many of us could find ourselves when we begin to consider the grace of God in our lives. I love her reaction here, and I think this is why we can find so much encouragement here. But if we elevate her too high, then it becomes unattainable to put ourselves in the place to see how this could be. And so continuing on in, uh, in verse 29. She says, and it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love the reaction here because she hasn't even heard what the responsibility is yet. And what does it say? She's troubled and she's trying to understand the greeting. What's the greeting that she's trying to understand? That you are favored and the Lord is with you. What is happening right here is that she's seeing the grace. She knows who God is because her family members, if you would read earlier in chapter one, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah, Zachariah is a priest and this is her family and they have a good relationship. So I, I and, and you know, and there were other parts where we can see that Mary is a, is a believer, like she, she's a worshiper of God, of the same God of Israel and all these things. And so she understands who God is. But what she's not understanding right now is God's grace. She, what she's having trouble understanding is why are you calling me favored? How, how is the Lord with me? You know, that you think about her for her to uh, ponder her situation right here. You know, for one, her being a woman, her being unmarried, her, her being very young at this point. You know, the, the whole idea of what God is communicating to her right now just seems impossible. It doesn't make sense. You know, and the, the thing in our Christian life and a and thing especially with men that I think holds us back. Is that the idea of God's grace being poured out on messed up people like us? It, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It, and it's, 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 it's hard to contemplate this view that God has on broken people because we don't look at people like that. Like when we see people, like we see people, we immediately judge them for what they've done, right? Like that's just our nature. We associate them with their situation. We associate them with their mistakes. We associate them with the way they dress, the way they present themselves. We associate, and the Bible even talks about this in Samuel, we see based off of the outside, like the situation and the circumstances. That's how we view people. And so for Mary and for us, you know, when we step into the situation where we constantly are preaching and talking about the grace of God and how that functions in your family life, in your marriage, in, the, in your day-to-day -day as you navigate the world, it seems overwhelming and it's difficult to contemplate. You know, in, in this troubled, it can also be translated as perplexed or confused. And the thing we have to understand is that it's okay if we don't understand it. It's okay for us, and I love this, about where Mary, I believe, exemplifies a, a beautiful humility that it takes to experience God's grace, is that she immediately was confused by it, right? I don't deserve that. I don't deserve what God wants to do for me. I don't deserve what God is saying about me. Listen, 
That is the posture at which we embrace grace. Is that posture of humility where we believe, I don't understand it. I don't get it. If you don't think you deserve it, then you need it. And it's there for you. If we ever at a point where we believe that we, I deserve this, this is mine to have, then that's where we have a problem. That's where we're not at a posture to receive God's impossible grace because we believe that we deserve more than we really do. Remember, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's what God has done for you. That's what God is pouring over Mary in this moment. And the thing is, when we begin to engage with the grace of God, it's going to seem confusing. It's going to seem like it doesn't make sense. It's going to seem like we don't deserve it. And I love how Gabriel, moving on in verse 30, he says this. He says, do not be afraid. And the, the way that this can also be uh, looked at is, is uh, it, this also means to not be pushed away or to not flee. Because like I said, I mean, considering Mary, she was young, she was poor. You know, in most situations, she would have been also being a woman, being kind of the low, low end of the social totem pole at, pole at that time. That she could have very much looked at herself as unusable and insignificant in the scheme of what God could potentially do. But I love, you know, and something that we have to, that, that, I, that through some of the research that I saw, you know, the, the name Mary is the Greek translation for the Hebrew name Miriam. And if we know who Miriam is from the Old Testament, Miriam was who? Miriam was the sister of Moses. And what did, what, what was Miriam's responsibility at the beginning of Moses' life, is to protect him, right? To watch over him as, she, as he was put into, into the, the basket and put in the river. And then Pharaoh, you know, watched until Pharaoh's daughter pulled Moses out. You know, she was given the responsibility to protect. The same thing that God is pouring over Mary in this moment. Like, I'm giving you a responsibility. I'm giving you a responsibility to protect. For Miriam, it was the, the Savior of the Israelites to lead them out of Egypt. Not that he was the Savior, but that he was the, 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 the person, the, the leader, the prophet for the people at that time to lead them out of slavery. And so Mary is being given the same responsibility in this moment. You have the responsibility to raise up, to protect, to watch over the Savior of the universe. You know, he's pouring out this grace. This is very much the same type of response or the same type of communication given to Gideon in the book of Judges. Well, remember, when the angel comes to Gideon, he's hiding, right? And what does he say? He says, mighty man of valor. And he didn't deserve that at that moment. But that's what, what's so beautiful about the grace of God is that God sees who we will be even when we don't see it. God sees what we can do even when we don't see it. Listen, I'm grateful and thankful that God sees that I can be the father that I need to be, the husband that I need to be, even when I don't see it in myself. And so with that, understanding the impossible grace of God, if God sees fit to pour his grace on us, then God sees fit to equip us. God sees fit to protect us. God sees fit to lead us into the spaces that he would have us to go to do the things that he would have us to do. And so he says, do not be afraid. Don't, don't be pushed away because of what you don't understand. Don't flee. And this is the thing that we have to know. 
is that as we look at our families, the responsibilities that we have to kind of foster Christ in that, in our, in our marriages, in our local church, in the responsibility that we have, the huge responsibility that we have to foster a love for Christ in our church. That there are a lot of things, there's a lot of fears that we could use to push us away from that, to lead us away from that. But this is the thing we have to understand. We can't let the fear of what we don't know keep us from learning what we will know. Listen, we will, God will make sure we know. God will make sure we know what he's doing. He will make sure. Maybe we don't know initially, but he will make sure that by the end of it, we can look back and say, man, that's why. That's why God challenged me. That's why God challenged me to lead my family. That's why God challenged me to, to worship. That's why God challenged me to teach our children. That's why God challenged me to be a part of something bigger than myself. And so God has poured out this grace on Mary, beginning to communicate something for her. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And then her humble response of being troubled at the saying, this isn't doubt. This isn't doubt. This is, this is that feeling of like, favored who? The Lord is with who? Me? This is the, the humble posture that we have to be in to begin to receive the grace that God has for us. And then not only is there an impossible grace that is made known here, but the, the second thing is this, an impossible way at which God will accomplish it. Verse 31 through 37 kind of begins to talk about this a lot. In verse 31, he begins to lay out the plan of how this will take place. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so the virgin birth is a very important thing. Matthew and Luke really lean heavy into communicating the idea of the virgin birth because this is, this is a, a fulfillment of prophecy from all throughout the New Testament speaking of this idea that, that, the, that the, uh, the Savior will be born of a virgin. And, and really what this testifies to is both the deity of Jesus, the fact that he's not just a human, He's not just some man like me and you, even though he is man in a sense. But not only his deity, that he is of God, but also his sinlessness and just the, the way in which God works, that God works in the midst of the situations. That's what I, I love about when God does things for his people in his word. It's never done in a way that it can be the, the, the you know, the, uh, the credit can be given to man. Because if we can take credit, we're going to take credit. I mean, that's why even talking about grace and salvation, uh, later on in Ephesians, he talks about it. He says, listen, it's, it's not of works so that no man can boast. Because if we could earn it, if we could do it, then we surely would. And we'd make sure everyone knew about it, right? We'd write books about it. We'd post about it. We'd live it out. We'd have T-shirts made for it. I did this. I learned this. I made this happen. But everything God does that has sustainability and has life change and has salvation in it, it is not a work of man. It is a work of God. And so that's why this situation had to play out the way it did, not only for fulfillment of prophecy, but for man to never be able to say, because in this, you know, we know the story, Joseph and Mary will raise Jesus together, but Joseph will never be able to say, that is from me. Because it wasn't. It's from God. Man cannot boast about it. And continuing on, 
In verse 34, Mary said, you know, how will this be? Continuing on. Verse 35, and said, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. You know, I, I, I love how in Mary's trying to understand what's going on. This isn't a doubtful situation. She's not saying this, this cannot happen. She said, how will God do this? How will God do a work in my life like this? How will God bring this about? What is the way in which God will do this? And I love, in verse 35, knowing this, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know, in some versions, it it says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And so what we have to understand is that the work of God in our lives is an active work. That God is actively participating. That God is actively there in the midst of it. And this word overshadow, it means to cover. It means to cover. The the, the first time that this kind of idea of God covering is mentioned uh, is in Exodus when it talks about the pillar of fire. This, this representation of God's glory, this visible manifestation, this Shekinah glory, this, this cloud and this pillar of fire that was leading the people. It was this presence of God for the people to find encouragement, to know that God is with us, that God is leading us. And so it says, you know, that he will overshadow or that he will cover. You know, and... And and what he is wanting them to understand and what he wants us to understand in the midst of this, that this covering has happened, that God will cover us. That God will cover us. That God will engulf us. That God will be that one. You know, and that's the thing that we can't, and for us, like we talked about just a minute ago, uh, wanting it to be about us, wanting it to be our doing, our accomplishment, our good, is that if we could be humble enough Leaning in, 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 into humility, leaning into the work of God, allowing God to overshadow us, allowing God to be seen, allowing God to be at the forefront, allowing God to be that one. Listen, God will cover us. He'll cover our weakness. He'll cover our inabilities. He'll cover our lacks. He'll lead, guide, and direct, and provide in ways that we cannot do on our own. But that only comes when the glory of God overshadows, when he overshadows us. When he, over, when he covers me, you know, and that was when we talk about, <clears throat> you know, even in salvation, that it, the righteousness, the goodness before God that we have is not our own goodness. That it's the righteousness of Christ that covers us. And he continues on, and I love not only this acknowledgement of the work that God does through the Holy Spirit covering us, leading us, providing for us. But then he uses something else in verse 36. He says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. I love how how the angel, he takes someone else's situation as an encouragement to show Mary about what God can and will do. You know, that's what's valuable and so important about what we do here together. 
is because sometimes what someone else is needing is to know about what God is doing for you. How God is working in your life. How God is leading you. How God is, is, is navigating something impossible that it may seem in your own life and God is providing in a way that you never thought He could or that God is doing something that you never thought He could. And so the beauty of the local church gathered is what God does is He takes all these broken people and if we would allow God to make us and let us be vulnerable enough for people to see how He is working, see where we fall short and where God picks up, where God overshadows, where God provides, then for us, then we may be an encouragement to someone else. God can use our life as an encouragement in the life of someone else if we will be humble enough and vulnerable enough to let other people know that we have need. You know, because the thing is, is that we see two different types of need here. We see, uh, we see two different types of obstacles. Elizabeth, she was barren. She was old. She couldn't have children. Hers was a physical obstacle. While Mary's was a situational. Why was it situational? She wasn't married. She hadn't known her husband yet. Like, she couldn't have a child yet. It, it was impossible. It was a situational thing that just wasn't there yet. And I love how in this, God makes it very clear. Listen, whether it's a physical limitation or a situational, man, God works in the midst of that. You know, God can do it. Listen, because for a lot of us in our Christian life, we can make a lot of excuses about why we can't or won't or shouldn't do certain things. I don't know enough. I can't do enough. I don't have enough. I don't have the skill enough. Like I can't do it. Like, it's not me. I'm physically unable. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Like, I can't do it. I have a physical inability, a physical obstacle to step into the work that God has for me. And what does God say here? I don't care your physical limitation. I don't care what you think your physical inability is. God can work through that. God takes Elizabeth's physical inability and he works through that. Listen, and most of our physical inabilities aren't barrenness. Most of our physical inabilities or fear, right? Or fatigue, or we feel like our knowledge, or we feel like you know our uh, our our abilities. And not only that, but then Mary's situ- Mary's being a situational thing. A lot of us can feel like we're not in the best situation to do what needs to be done, right? If I was in a better situation, then I could do what God wanted me to do. If I was in a better place physically or emotionally or mentally, whatever, if I was in a better situation, then I, then I would serve. God, if you make my situation better, then I'll serve you. Then I'll be able to serve you, right? You know, if, if I'm in a better, better situation, then I could serve you. But God says, listen, I've got things for you to do. And it's not necessarily going to change your situation. It's probably going to make your situation more difficult. What do we talk about all the time? Worshiping a holy God should cost us something. It should make things a little uncomfortable for us, right? It should make me coming to church, me participating in the worship of God's people, me giving to someone outside of my own immediate family, me doing something for someone, it should cost me something. It should be difficult. If going to church and doing Christian life was easy, everyone would do it. But you know what? Not everyone does. Not everyone wants to be a part of it. Not everyone wants what we have because it's tough, because it's difficult. And the way that God works in the midst of that is he leans in and he empowers us and he says, listen, this way seems impossible to you, but I'm telling you it's not. And because it seems impossible to you, when I pull you through it and I do that thing through you that no one else thinks that can be done, I'll get the glory for it. 
And that's what it's about. This impossible way, the way at which God works, despite the obstacles, despite the physical obstacles, despite our situational obstacles, the thing we have to stop doing is we have to stop using our situations as an excuse for what we're doing for the kingdom of God. We have to, because listen, we could have a million situations, whether it's kids, whether it's where we live, whether it's our vehicle, whether it's our job, whether it's our time. We could have a million situations and a million reasons for why we won't or don't or can't do what God has called us to do. Whether it's leading our family, whether that's uh, uh, worshiping God the way we should, whether that's praying, whether that's participating in our local church community, whether that's giving, whether that's just stepping up and being visible. Men leading our family spiritually. Listen, we can make a million excuses about why situationally we can't do that. Well, I just work too much. I just can't do it consistently. Well, I don't know enough. Well, I'm not good enough. Well, I, I, I don't feel confident enough. Listen, there's a million situational excuses that we can make. Let's stop it. Let's stop it and just step into what God's calling us to do. And he says he will provide the way so that at the end of it, you can say, you know what? When I started this, I had no clue what I was doing. I knew that I wasn't the right man for this. You know, I know for me as a dad, there's a lot of times that I would think to myself, and there's, there's no way I, I, I can do this. They, they need somebody more holy. They need somebody more spiritual. Like they need, they need something better. Listen, the situation God's placed you in is the exact situation where God wants you and he wants to use you in the midst of it. God wants to provide for you. God wants to lead you. God wants for the end of it, for you to look back and say, you know what? It absolutely was 0% me and all God that I am here where I am today. Listen, so if you wait until your situation is better, then you're going to begin to pat yourself on the back for what you've done. But if you step into it when the situation doesn't seem perfect and you continue to do what God's called you to do, even when the situation doesn't make sense, at the end of it, you'll be able to say, man, that was none of me and all of God. And he says, in verse 37, he says, for nothing will be impossible for God when he begins to lay these things out. And I love that, that he, he, he doesn't just say, like, it's not short-sighted. He doesn't say, like, nothing is impossible, like, more immediate. He says, listen, nothing will be. Because I love the fact that God is mindful of what we will go through. Right? God is mindful of the experiences we will have. God is mindful of the obstacles that will come up. Like there are present obstacles here. But I love how God's like, I've got these. There's going to be things here. He says nothing, nothing will be impossible here. You know, because I imagine even for Mary that she's contemplating the difficulties of her potential situation, right? There's a lot of things that are going to come against her because of the situation that God is bringing her into. Unwed pregnant woman. There's a lot of bad situations that can happen. I mean, per her culture, she could be exiled or stoned if they accuse her of adultery. A lot of difficulty ahead of her. God says, the angel says here, nothing will be impossible. Listen, every situation and every obstacle ahead of us right now that is keeping us from serving in the way that God has called us to serve in our families, in our relationships, being the people that God has called us to be. Listen, there's an impossibility within us, a fear in us, a doubt in us 
that we can't accomplish it, we can't overcome it, we can't do it. And God says, listen, nothing will be impossible. And this is, this is, this is fulfillment of prophecy uh, over and over and over again. Genesis 18, 14. He says here to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Then Deuteronomy 31, 8. So it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Listen, he's already there. He's already there. Our most difficult situations that most definitely lie ahead, he is already there. There's a confidence that we can navigate in our Christian life to know that God will provide. That he didn't promise, and this is a thing that we have to know, that he didn't promise to remove the task. He didn't promise to remove Mary's task. The difficult thing wasn't so much the task. The difficult thing was going to be the repercussions and the ripple effects of her task. And so for us as Christians, listen, it's not so much the difficulty of our task that's the hardest thing. Listen, I can raise my children to be Christians and I can try to teach them the right things. That's not even the most difficult part of this journey. The most difficult part of this journey is all the obstacles that they and I will face as we navigate a culture that's in opposition to the God that I worship. That's the difficult part. That's what's going to take endurance. That's what's going to take strength. Not what I do in the immediate. I can handle that, right? Like we can, I can pull out a devotion and read it one night. Like we can do those things from, from day to day. We can pray occasionally. We can come to church on Sundays. Like we can do those things. But it's the things that take stamina, right? It's the things that take endurance. It's the things that take consistency. That's where God wants to work. That's going to be the opposition that he's preparing us for. That's the hardships that lie ahead. And that's what, you know, Christ isn't taking away, isn't taking away the difficult situations. You know, because even for Mary... The situation's going to be difficult. The promise wasn't to remove the task, but he promised to be there and to see it fulfilled. Following and trusting Christ won't make life easier. It's not. It's going to make life more difficult. Listen, Sundays it would be easy to sleep in. It would be so nice. Some of you probably, I mean, if, if you're like me or if you work shift work, you know, you don't get a lot of days off in the week. Man, sleeping in on Sundays sure would be nice. Especially when you got extracurriculars going on on Saturdays that you're probably not able to sleep in then. Man, Sundays would be nice. Doing my to-dos, my honey-dos, whatever it might be. Man, it would be nice to do those on Sunday. You know, following Christ won't make life easier. It won't keep us from difficult or challenging situations. And you know, even more intense than that. He doesn't always keep us from the fire. He doesn't always keep us from the fire, but he promises us, because he proved it in the Old Testament, he promises us that he'll be with us right in the midst of it. And that he'll carry us through it. He'll carry us through our most difficult and dark times. We will hold on. If we will hold on. If we will lean in, then he will be with us and he will provide. And so the last thing is this, and then I'll be done. Not only impossible, the impossible grace and the impossible way, but the last that he had to do it. But the last thing is this, and the encouragement we can find from Mary is the impossible faith that is only made possible through the work of God. What does she say? Moving down into verse 38. <clears throat> she says, 
I am the servant of the Lord. I'm the servant. Considering all the things that are inevitably ahead. Considering all the hardships that are inevitably ahead. She says, I'm your servant. You know, and, and this servant that, that is used here is, is that of a maidservant of a low position. She says, listen, I'm, I'm low. I'm, I'm, she's putting herself down low. She said, God, whatever you have, whatever you have, whatever you have ahead, young, poor, unmarried, pregnant girl facing potential rejection, all the inevitable difficult situations that lie ahead of her. And what does she do? She surrenders and submits. It's in the midst of that submission and surrender that we will truly begin to experience the work God has for us. That we will truly begin to see what it is God would do. And then she continues on, and I love that she says this. She says, let it be according to your word. You know, God's provided us with a revelation, His revealed revelation of what He does and how He does it. And He's given it to us in His Word. And I love how she said, let it be according to what you say. Not according to what I say. Not according to my abilities. Not according to my situation. Not according to my physical uh, talents. He says, let it be according to your Word. Because if the work that God does in our life, in our families, in our relationships, in our church, in our communities, is let it be according to His Word, then it will sustain, then it will carry on, then God will see it fulfilled, that God will see it come to pass, that God will see what He does and what He can do through it. Trusting His revelation, His ordination, and believing in His participation to see it come to pass. God will do it. Listen, as the band comes up, and we're going we're gonna to do something else at the end. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we kind of enter into this Advent season, but... You know, the thing we have to know about what God is challenging us for and what God is challenging us to do is Mary didn't have all the answers. She didn't have all the answers. She had no clue of the pain and the heartache that would be ahead of her. She had no clue about the difficult situations that inevitably laid ahead of her. But she says, let it be. Let it be. You know, and my prayer for us is that as we look at what God can and will do for us, that we would allow ourselves to pray a prayer that says, let it be. God, let it be. Use me how you see fit. God, use me for your fulfillment, for your kingdom, for your glory, for growing my family, for leading my family, for worshiping you in public spaces, for having conversations with people out in the world that I live in, my circle of influence. God, let it be according to your word, not according to my comforts, not according to my needs, not according to what I want, because what I want in my comfort does not line up with what God wants for me. Listen, Mary could have found a much easier situation to step into, a much easier physical situation and a a much easier emotional situation. But what does she say? Let it be. Let me be uncomfortable. Let me be put out. Let me be put in a situation of potential rejection because it's for your kingdom. It's for your glory. It's for your good. Listen, God wants to use us in that way. And the work that God has for us in our life is the only true joy and happiness that we're ever going to find. I love C.S. Lewis said this. He said once, uh, C.S. Lewis once said, he said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. 
He said, I always knew a bottle of port or a bottle of alcohol would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. It's not meant to make us comfortable. It's meant to show us the way to true fulfillment. It's meant to show us the work of something far beyond us that the creator of the universe has invited us into the most uncomfortable job in the entire world. And that's in being in complete opposition to everything that the world around us stands for. Not to boast in it, but to humbly step into it and to allow God to use us when it's inconvenient, when it doesn't make me comfortable, when I'd rather sleep in, when I'd rather do something different with my time, with my family, with my husband, with my wife, whatever it might be, that God says that there is a task, there's a job, there's a responsibility, there is an identity that you have in the creator of the universe. And he says, come, come be a part of it. Be a little uncomfortable to enjoy the everlasting salvation that God has. And that God has impossibilities to pour over us. Impossible grace that is made available for you. An impossible way at which to navigate the world that you live in that is only made possible through Him. And an impossible faith that alone we do not have, but God provides us the strength to step into the work that He has for us. And so this is my, my, my plea to you this morning. As we bow our head, close our eyes, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship this morning. And before we do that, actually, Sean, Mr. Billy, if y'all don't mind, Pat, we're going to pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. If, you know, and this is something that God's people participate in. And I wanted to start Advent like this. I almost forgot about it, but I, I, I want to do this. You know, we hadn't done the, done the Lord's Supper but one other time this year. And what the Bible tells us is when we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. We remember who he was. We remember what he's done. And this is for Christians to partake in, you know, and, and, and don't feel uncomfortable to allow it to pass by you if you don't feel like that's you. But for believers this morning, I want you to take it. LaShawn, if you want to start on this end. Believers, this is an, a celebration of anticipation of what God has done and what He will continue to do. So when we take part in this, we're celebrating who He is. We're celebrating what He's done. We're celebrating the goodness of His glory and the work of Christ on behalf of broken, dreadful sinners. God has done this for us to be able to celebrate in confidence about what He will continue to do. And so as you get this, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. Listen, and so partaking of this Lord's Supper together is a reminder that God endured the most uncomfortable part of the work so that we could live in the joy and comfort of knowing that our salvation is sealed in Him through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that our salvation is settled with Him by the breaking of His body and the spilling of His blood, that He has made a way for us to find and have salvation through His grace, through the impossible way that He's done it, all pulled together by faith in Him. let them guys, those guys finish passing that out read a couple things and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we start off this Advent season right
So if you need a little orientation on how to get into this thing, the very top peels off and we're gonna start with the bread together, church. If you would, open that up. And he said this, I'm gonna read these words. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, take the bread. And then he continued on. He said, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, the new promise, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. The church would peel back and drink together the new covenant of his grace. drink the new covenant of grace that we live in today. So church, if you could stand with me, we're going to bow our heads together. We're going to pray and we're going to worship our God together. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we come and we stand here not on our own strength. We come for those who are believers here this morning, not in our own strength, or our own abilities, but God, in the saving work of your son, Jesus, on our behalf. Father God, I pray. God, I pray that you would just do a work through us. God, I pray that as we worship and we come here week after week, God, if, as we pray about the future of the work of the ministry you have for us, God, I pray that you would challenge us within our families, within our community, God, outside of our comfort zones to step into the place and the work that you have for us. God, whatever physical obstacles we have, God, let us know, let it be according to your word that you will do a work to lead us into the work you have for your kingdom. God, if it's situational limitations, God, that we would stop making excuses and Lord, we would just lean in and say, God, let it be according to your word, whatever work it is that you have for us. Lord, give us the confidence to live in your glory. God, let us, let us lean into the overshadowing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us into the spaces you have. God, we're all broken people here this morning. Lord, there's bad leaders, bad followers. We're, we're, we desperately need something outside of ourselves to be the people and to do the work you've called us to do. So God, in our families, in our relationships, in our local church and in our communities, God, help us to see the call of your kingdom on our lives. Let us embrace the grace. Let us follow the way and let us take steps of faith to see your work done. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name.